Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicherry and joined as always by our producer Justin Stein. And today we've got Alex Vigderman and James Weaver from the SIS Football Research Team. Bryce Rossler not feeling well, a little bit under the weather. Get better soon, Bryce. We miss you. But seeing as it's just going to be the three of us today, we will dive in with Bryce's idea, which was to discuss some of the surprise teams around the league through through week seven. Is that what we're through right now? Yeah, I think I think that's fair to say. All right. So, Alex, how's it going? Going going pretty good. The this whole honestly, this whole not having the season being broken into even numbers of weeks where you can just say like first half, second half is really throwing everybody off. Like what's what's a mid season, what that sort of thing. I think all of these like content options that you would typically have of like quarter pole and all that stuff, it's all it's all screwed up. I only half agree with you. The quarter poll thing gets weird and it's hard to do. However, we have 18 weeks in the regular season now as opposed to 17. The midseason thing should be easier, right? Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true. But the number of I guess it depends on how you do it, right? If yeah, you're everybody talking plays about different numbers, numbers yeah. of games, yeah. Yeah. We have fun with calculating any kind of, of stat when we're in the bye weeks. So and from Eastern PA to Western PA, James Weaver, how's it going? Doing good, Matt. Definitely enjoying the unpredictability of the league this year, rather than what might be the two powerhouses on the AFC, but enjoying game to game of what uh, craziness might ensue. All right. And on that note, we can shift things back over to New York, where I am, and the two New York teams, because I think there haven't been teams that have been more surprising than the Jets and the Giants. And I want to start with the Giants, because I think that they are particularly sort of fraught or great or somewhere in between there, right? It's like when you perform way above expectation, is that good or bad? Because you're doing great, you're six and one, but there's underlying stuff there that I personally don't trust. So I'm wondering where you guys come out on this one. What do you guys make of the Giants and their strong start, at least record-wise so far? I think overall, they're definitely getting behind their new coach and, and Coach Table definitely has them believing they're playing solid complimentary football, I guess to say. But Matt, as you alluded to, there's definitely some underlying aspects. One of their obviously main strengths has been their run game with Saquon looking a lot stronger and better than what he has in the past. And also too with Daniel Jones and his legs. They've been using him solidly through the rushing attack. And he's been able to pick up a lot of first downs and actually ranks 11th in rushing yards this year. It's one thing to say, like, look at the standings and be like, oh, okay, the Giants are 6-1. and one. But if you watched the end of that Giants game last week, this was not a team that has confidence in passing the football. This was a team that was, they were winning the way that, you know, a lot of high school teams liked to win when I was playing back in the nineties. So it's kind of interesting. Is there something that you, that you've noticed about their run game, Daniel Jones related or otherwise that you would say has been driving their success? I think overall it's been their gap scheme runs. Saquon's been hitting this design gap 90% of the time and the Giants offensive line has opened up the holes for him. Both Andrew Thomas and Mark Lewinsky have been a, done a good job in opening up those holes as they both rank top 40 and run blocking total points. And I think they've just been setting a plan and they've really been executing it. Yeah, that's something that I love to talk about. People don't know a lot of times what to make of our stats when we talk about, did you go through the design gap? Were you bouncing it? Were you not? And, and you know, like what matters and what doesn't? And we're constantly talking about how, from a football perspective, you really want to be hitting the design, the design gap on gap scheme runs. And on zone scheme runs, that's decidedly less the case. Like they they can be designed to bounce or to or to break back. Alex, you pulled some some stats on on what we expected, kind of like around the league versus 
Can you put into context what that 90% is? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very high in general. Like the, the league average is closer to like 70%, a little bit above that in terms of hitting the design gap on, on gap scheme runs. And unsurprisingly on zone, because you're meant to sort of just like find the gap as it appears, the league average is lower, but that 90% number from Saquon is, you know, 20% above the league average. He had established his own personal level that was a little bit lower than that, which makes sense for the kind of athlete that he is. He wants to get, I mean, he can't, he has the ability to sort of start and stop and get himself out in space. And so it's a little bit, honestly, surprising that he's been hitting, hitting the gap as much as he has. Right. If there's one thing you'd compare, you think of him as like a Barry Sanders type of back where it's a lot of what he does kind of off script, but it's actually been, he's been hitting the plays and then being able to create even more off of that. Maybe the, the Brian Dable genius is actually quite simple. And obviously just being stronger for him, right? He's getting a, a little bit more than a yard more after contact than he was last year, even more than he was uh, in 2019. So like he's just, he's looking stronger, but also feels like it's a combination of a little bit better blocking and a little bit more conviction from him, just sort of hitting the hole. Yeah. And I don't know, I think James, if we think back to Buffalo, Josh Allen, and sort of the, how that progressed over time under, under Dayball, do we think that this looks like, obviously Daniel Jones now is not what Josh Allen is now, but Josh Allen had a lot of development. He had a couple of years where he was under 60% completion percentage and really kind of built up in that direction starting more as a runner, like the the Cam Newton type, and then going from there. Are we seeing potentially like a Daniel Jones that's that's in that phase? I know it's hard to predict what he'll what he'll be and if he could ever reach those sort of heights, but like is this something that we actually think they're onto something here in terms of the what they've found with Daniel Jones? Yeah, I believe so. It's crazy how they have been able to tap into his potential at this point. Obviously with Dable coming over, but yeah, he certainly made made strides on the ground. He's been able to pick up first downs on 50% of his runs. He's definitely been a factor. And it'll be interesting to see going forward his progression passing through the air to see if we can have that Josh Allen-like improvement in you know two, three years if the Giants decide to go with him in the future. We're definitely talking about like a longer, you know, it's it's unfortunate that he's had more years in the league before we he got to this point, but like it is a nearly 20-point improvement in independent quarterback rating. Being just being generally more accurate uh, on target percentage, ten percent higher, and not being—I mean, he's definitely having—he's being less aggressive downfield, which you'd expect in terms of the trade-off between accuracy and and aggression. But like when you have this kind of funky offense that's doing a lot of quarterback runs and stuff like that, that to some extent makes makes sense, and they're sort of making things a little bit easier for him. And as a runner, you know, you don't have to, you have to read the field in a different kind of way when you're, when you're running as a quarterback. Yeah. We're not going to talk about the Colts because they're not a surprising team at at three, three and one. It's hard to figure out like what direction they're surprising in, but I think it is surprising that Sam Ellinger is going to be starting next week. I would have thought Nick Foles, if anything, but I think maybe there's something, you know, where Frank Reich is looking around the league and seeing the success of a Jalen Hurts of a Daniel Jones, of being able to make things easier for the quarterback, especially behind the suspect offensive line play that they've been dealing with there, but making it easier for the quarterback, make, putting him in a better situation to succeed based on his own athleticism, based on being able to kind of take one of the gaps back from the defense with with the the ability to use the player like that. I'm kind of intrigued to see what 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 Ellinger, he's 
never would have thought he's a very accurate player or anything like that. But do I think he's so far from Jalen Hurts as a prospect? No. I think the tough thing with, if we're talking about like the Giants, the the thing that's weird is that they have this offense that they've kind of revamped and the quarterback might be a little bit better. But like having an offense designed around that kind of scheme where that we're really simplifying things for the quarterback works should theoretically work when you have an offense, like a general offensive personnel, like the Eagles do not like the giants do in terms of like the guys he's throwing to and stuff like that. Like Saquon is obviously better than the options in the Philly backfield, but like the rest of the team around Daniel Jones is a lot worse than the rest of the team around Jalen hurts. And so keeping that sort of like simple version of the offense should theoretically not result, you know, they're 25th in total points as a team. The defense is 29th. So like, this is a funky, this is, this is the weird team. The Eagles are the team that's like outperforming a little bit compared to expectations in terms of being undefeated. Whereas the giants are that like, huh? Yeah. It's hard to make sense of it. Like when you look at some of the, the underlying metrics that go on with them, before we get there, let's flip around. Let's talk about the defense a little bit because we've been mostly talking about them on the offensive side of the ball. Are there any? What do you see when you look at at their defense from a high level? I mean, the the run defense has been pretty bad, and it's less of it would be theoretically be more of a problem if you were losing more, which is what you'd expect from that that team heading into the season. They've allowed five point seven yards per attempt on the ground. They're they've had a broken and missed tackle rate of fourteen percent on their tackle attempts. And both of those numbers are among the worst in the league. So they're pretty poor, honestly, on, on the defense yeah. side in, in terms of like from a play to play basis. And they're just making it work. And especially that's, that's very important. Like you need the defense to be able to keep games close and stuff when you're relying so much on the running. Yeah. The part that I look at too, especially like, it's amazing that they've been in all these clo- close games, you know, somewhat been, been playing from behind at, at times in these games and finding ways back into it while running the ball themselves and not having a particularly strong run defense. That's usually not like, like you said, this is like the head scratch. Like how do you get to six and one with all of this? I think a big part of it, when you look at defensively, what this team has done, just their efficiency ranks, whether you look at it in terms of EPA or you look at it in terms of success rate, they've been in the bottom third of the league in terms of when you look at their performance overall, when you look at their performance on early downs, when you look at their performance outside of the red zone, all the situations that tend to be the more predictive ones, but they've been top six in the league and all of those stats for, for late down and for red zone defensively. So they, this is a team that's been playing really, really well in the red zone on defense, really, really well on third down on defense. And if I had to guess, I would say this can't sustain itself. Maybe Brian Dable's a really good coach and maybe they'll win more games than they should on paper this year. It, it would be hard for them to believe that they won't at this point because they've already probably won three more games than they should, but this has to come back down to earth. The division's better than it has been in previous years too. Like the Cowboys and Eagles are up there as well. Cowboys offense is going to be a little bit weird to figure out over the next few weeks as Dak gets sort of reintegrated. But like the, in, in the last few years, the NFC East has been one of those divisions where like the, division winners closer to 500 than to undefeated so that this is not one of those years so it's going to be potentially tough down the stretch just because of that what other nostradamus like energy can you bring to this giants conversation james i'm wondering any anything else that you could say where this is unsustainable new york giants any stats that kind of pretend they're doom 
Yeah, I mean, just if you just look at the record overall, I guess being six and one, every single one of those games has been one score games. And if you look historically, usually that uh, usually changes around once that you know you have those one score games that usually switches around. So not even just looking at the the advanced metrics, but just a record in points for points against overall certainly do for some regression there. Okay, so Giants are surprised. I think we're not feeling super confident about them going forward. Although it's nice to be five games above five hundred. All right, staying in New York, let's flip over to the Jets. In terms of the Jets, Alex, what have you seen? Because this seems almost as unbelievable to me as the Giants record, especially given that their quarterback has been even worse than Daniel Jones. Like, he hasn't shown improvement. Yeah, it's either their young quarterback has not improved or they were starting Joe Flacco in 2022. So, yeah, they they invested heavily at running back the last couple of years, Michael Carter, and uh, who had like a kind of interesting rookie year, super good in terms of, of broken tackles. And then Brees Hall this year and Hall unfortunately got hurt. And so we're talking more about what he did for the team prior, as opposed to what we expect going forward. But as a team, they've increased their yards per carry on the ground each of the last three years the last two years, they've been more middle of the pack in terms of broken and missed tackles, whereas they were in the the bottom like two or three in nineteen in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Michael Carter this definitely is a really good note about following Adam Gase as a coach <laughs> and how he can make you seem like you're improving just by being okay. Yeah, I yeah, I mean being being average versus being terrible for an organization like the Jets of late is big news. It's just that you wouldn't expect the record that they have coming from that. The big, honestly, as big as anything, even though they've added a lot of interesting skill position players, Elijah Moore's kind of in this weird spot where we don't know where he stands, but Garrett Wilson had a, a big breakout earlier in the year. The running backs are kind of interesting. So there's definitely some like some optimism there on the offensive side, although realistically it's not manifesting itself too much at, at the current moment. It's really more about the defense. The defensive backfield has been outstanding. They're second in the NFL in total points per play. They have four defensive backs in the top 50 in pass coverage total points. Sauce Gardner being the, the leader there, obviously early first round pick, but also the other Michael Carter, Marcus Joyner and DJ Reed all doing pretty well so far in sort of the first slightly less than half of the season. And they're doing each of them sort of provides different things. Some of them are getting turnovers, Gardner's breaking up passes, and and sort of shutting down the passing game. And that's been really a, a really big thing for them. And obviously, they you know invested a, a high draft pick in improving their defensive backfield, and they're seeing that impact in the first half of of his rookie year. Yeah, you know, I think you're spot on. It starts off with the defense. It starts off with with Sauce and the season that he's having. We should also shout out LaMarcus Joyner, who's third amongst safeties in total points. But I mean, when you look, when you look at the depth chart, if you go to 3013.com and you look at the Jets team page, it stands out right away. There's just not very many blue dots on their roster, except that that quarterback position really stands out there. So they're finding ways to be competitive. And I would say that's the big difference. When you go and play the Jets this year, you can't just bring your B or C game and have a team that's going to give you the ball game there that are going to make mistakes defensively. That's going to put the ball in their quarterback's hands to turn the ball over and give you opportunities to take the ball away from him. Since they started off one and two, and they've gone on this four game winning streak. Yes. They played a mediocre strength of schedule over that time, 
but really what they've been doing is is just playing a simple brand of football that that puts their defense in the best situations to win the game and kind of dares you to lose the game as you as you play against them and when you play against teams that that aren't so good even if we thought the Broncos and the Packers were going to be good going into the season when you're playing against these lesser teams it's been pretty effective for them so i think that's a really big credit to them it's like they they've really fixed up the offensive and defensive lines Quinnen Williams is an absolute beast. His brother Quincy Williams is is just gobbling up tackles all over the field. The offensive line has dealt with injuries, but seems to be kind of like coming through them pretty well. On the inside, they've had some more consistency in there with uh, Tomlinson and McGovern, but they've got to be feeling good about now where they're at on the outside, even save Mackay Becton. So things things are shaping up. They seem to have receiving talent. They're they're four high draft picks this year. This is a team that's decidedly not crap in the way that they used to be except for a quarterback yeah i guess i add on to that real quick to just like talking about the the parallels with robert Sala coming over the pass rush has also been good too you brought up how Williams has been an absolute stud but specifically they've been able to get the pressure going with just four like how Sala's former team the 49ers did who coincidentally rank one in pressure rate on when rushing four when the jets ranked second so it's a testament on that side for, for him building out his defense, how he wants it and doing it the same, how he had success over in San Francisco. I mean, think about what you're doing though. Like you got to have the horses to, to make the defense work. Right. But what they've effectively done based on what you're saying is created that front four pass rush. Like you have with the Niners where you're not having a blitz and then subtracting out the opponent's best receiver with sauce Gardner. All of a sudden now we're playing what five DBs, against a maximum of four receivers that you could have out there. And that's and that's assuming that you're going to try to block your four with with five. If you're going to try to block our four with six, now we're playing five on three in the defensive backfield. Like it's really a very complicated sport. But when you start to subtract things out like that and sort of remove remove ways to to screw it up, it's not it's not rocket science there. So what what else do we think in terms of the Jets? So these improvements are there. I have to say, you know, like the, you know, Giants are in a tough division. I think they'll probably make the playoffs and not win the division based on them just having amassed enough wins already. Do we feel like the Jets are in the same boat? They are five and two. Again, in a tough division, when you consider the Bills at the top of the division, probably looking like the team that's going to win that division. Jets actually have a road to becoming one of the seven playoff teams in the AFC? A road, sure. I think the AFC West was always going to be the big sticking point when it came to anybody in any other division getting the wild card and h- how good were those teams going to be and thank how you, much Russell Wilson. Yeah. Thank you, Russell Wilson. Thank you. Whatever's going on in, in Las Vegas. Like those, those teams have not been as good and as threatening as you'd expect. And even the, the chargers have been kind of limping through as, as the chargers tend to do. Oh um, yeah. Joe Lombardi's trying to break Justin Herbert. He's doing yeah. it. Yeah. So, it, so yeah, I mean, having that opportunity. They is, should bring in Cristobal. I think that's their move. If they really, <laughs> really want to like make it hard on Herbert, just do that combination. And sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm disrupting your point. <laughs> Go on. No, it's just, yeah. I mean, the Chargers, it's been a years long issue with, with injuries and stuff like that. So that's, that's a thing for them to figure out, but yeah, that's that's the biggest challenge is do some of these teams in other divisions box the Jets out as much as anything that has, has to do with them? And the, this is one of the better divisions in the league that they're in right now. 
especially with the Dolphins hopefully getting a, a more productive Tua back. I guess the Patriots quarterback situation is a bit of chaos, but like they're not going to be horrendous. They're going to be competitive and the bills are a juggernaut. So like it's kind of similar to the situation with the giants in terms of like the division's kind of tough, but there are better other wildcard teams and other divisions to worry about than there might be in the NFC. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see how specifically the jets, the Patriots and the dolphins battle it out over the course of the year. So the jets next four weeks, are versus Patriots versus Bills by at Patriots. Seeing how the Jets roll through their next three games, two of which are against the Patriots, is going to obviously go a long way to determining which of those teams might be for real. The Jets are kind of ahead in the record column in terms of things here, but the Patriots have obviously been very good in some of the games that they've played in this year. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. Like you mentioned with Tua, we don't know exactly how he's going to shake out. These teams might beat each other up enough that it, that it makes it harder for all of them. But I bet we get at least two teams out of the AFC East at the end of the day. I just don't know how I'd really handicap it between them at this point. Yeah, I feel more, I certainly feel more confident in the Dolphins than I would the Jets at this point, or at least in terms of, of their upside because of those two receivers that are really able to break any game open at any time. It feels like Belichick's going to not allow Salah to come in with the game plan of, I'm going to force you to beat yourself. It feels like it's going to be a battle of attrition where they they might each just run the ball every play of the game. You can't, you, you don't want, you're trying to out Belichick, Belichick, you know, force, right. force them to lose. Right. But I think that's, that is how you want to play the jets because no, 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 make, make Zach Wilson beat me. Please. <laughs> like, please don't, don't allow a mod Gardner to beat me. Make Zach Wilson beat me. To be fair, Belichick did force Justin Fields to beat them on Monday night, and he sure just did that. So He obliged. Yeah, he absolutely obliged. That was fun to see. Getting out of New York, let's head west. I mentioned the Broncos a second ago. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. James, what can we say there? Probably just leave it at, leave it at B after that. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's been ugly. <laughs> it's certainly been ugly. It seems like he's not having any chemistry with his pass catchers. He's not been able to make the throws that he's been able to downfield. He's been substantially worse on intermediate throws. It's just been overall been poor. His independent quarterback rating has been half the level he's established over the years prior. It's yeah, it's it's really just hard to watch. And we'll I'll have to see if they can turn it around. But I don't know. Things are things are looking ugly in Denver. Are they gonna Sam Ellinger him? Is it is it gonna be like he's quote unquote injured, but really we're just we're just pulling the plug? I think the investment is a little Keep different doubtful. here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little it's a little different than the Matt Ryan situation. But the thing that's also weird is they, you know, there's been a lot of complaints about not taking advantage of Wilson's mobility. But even when he's been off platform this year, he's been meaningfully less accurate. His on target percentage is 15 percentage points worse this year than, than last year. If we're talking about throws that where he's either on the move or his feet are shuffling. And for what it's worth, the difference when he's planted is, is pretty small. It's just a few percentage points. So it's not like he's just generally less accurate. So it's, it's a weird situation. And like, he has the injury thing to kind of where somebody can fall back on it in terms of, of an excuse. And, and obviously that was part of his story last year as well. But even then, you know, before he got hurt last year, he was on his way to, to another pretty good season. So like, there's enough, like there's enough arguments in both directions, right? There's enough evidence to say that 
there's injury and new team and whatever that's that's contributing to him having a downturn and he's had recent success and so you can kind of pick your argument to some extent well i don't like pick your argument in terms of what like is he finished i feel like it's really hard to make the he's finished case and i think it's really easy to make the gene you know change of teams not fitting within the syst- the the scheme that he's being asked to play right now and add to it a crappy offensive line like is that like what what is what's the argument that's not that i think i mean the the kinds of the, the numbers that james was citing in terms of of performance on intermediate throws when he'd been like literally top 5 in independent quarterback rating each of the last four seasons i think on on intermediate throws so like an established level of of excellence that just like drops off a cliff that's i think that's the argument that he it must be something else that's happening right you you'd expect you wouldn't expect this like precipitous decline in the first half of one season when he had established even in even including last year when he was hampered a bit like he was still excellent on those intermediate throws so there i think i think you're probably right that it's a lot easier to say there's some funky stuff going on here combination of injury and scheme and whatever the the coach's decision making and stuff kind of you know messing up drive results there's a lot more to go on probably for the argument that just the team context is pretty weird right now. But the unfortunate thing is the team context, I mean, yeah, they can get rid of Hackett at the end of this year or whatever, but he's another year older and the the Jerry Judy, it's not an experiment, but like Jerry Judy has not really lived up to to his hype as a a really dominant receiver. And so there's just there there's less shine on on the team and the context around him than I think was coming into it. Yeah. I think he might be a little bit responsible for removing some of that shine. I think it's looking sure. more and more likely that Hackett <clears throat> is in trouble just based on the way that things are going. He basically inherited the defense and to his credit, he hasn't destroyed it. The defense, I mean, we could talk about that in a second, but it's it's actually like sad the way that their really special season is just going to go to waste because they have really not have they don't have anybody on offense that's that's performing at at a really good level. Javante Williams is out. I would have argued that Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are close to uh, as good a pair as you can get around the league. Like they're both, you know, right in that range between number one and number twos where you feel really good about the the pair of them and then adding in some of the depth behind that. I think that that there's definitely a need for the way things are trending, unless something gets right, there's a need for a major change because Number one, yeah, we got to fix the offensive line and get better players there. But I don't think that Jerry Judy's like not that good at football. I think that there's, I don't think that Russell Wilson's deteriorated that much. I think that it's much more likely that they, they need to, they, they are not fitting the scheme. They're not fitting the scheme that they're being asked to play at this point. And they just, they, it really, it really starts and ends there for me. So, well, and, and the funny thing is that this franchise is the blueprint for dominant defense plus questionable quarterback play equals Super Bowl, right? Like they they did this less than a decade ago with a similarly dominant defense. And, and you alluded to it, like they're in terms of total points per play, they are number one in both pass rush and pass coverage. Like this is a really good defense. And they're, they've allowed like just in total, total yards per play, they have a league best four and a half yards per play allowed. So like, this is a really good defense that is getting wasted by some pretty befuddling offensive performance. 
Yeah, James, you mentioned some stats before when we were talking about the Jets and, and comparing them to the Niners and just sending four on defense and how good they've been. What what have they been doing this year in terms of their pass rush? On a on a tendency standpoint, they're definitely one of the team one of the higher rate teams of just sending four, but they've had success in both rushing four and blitzing. They rank second and third respectively in positive play percentage allowed on both of those. They have the third highest sacks overall and the fourth highest pressure rate allowed. And like you mentioned earlier, when you couple that with one of the best secondaries, um, specifically with Pat Sertain, who leads the league in pass coverage total points, it's certainly a recipe for having a complimentary defense that can get you off the field. Yeah. You know, some of the players, even some of the new additions from a, a Nick Benito, who showed some positive traits coming out of the draft this year. They've had really nice performances from Baron Browning on the edge. Nobody as much as Pat Sertan. Obviously, he's our he's our top corner in total points right now. But this is a team that, that really has a good thing going on defense. And we know how how sort of quickly a good defense can can come together and then fall apart. So hopefully they can figure things out sooner rather than later. Because I'm still not convinced that it's completely a, a player's issue or it's something that these players would be able to, to sort out under the current scheme. Let's take a quick break and talk about the SIS Baseball Podcast hosted by Mark Simon. The SIS Baseball Podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to give a special shout out this week because we are announcing our Fielding Bible Awards here at Sports Info Solutions. Yeah, you know about the gold gloves. Yeah, you know that the gold glove awards get screwed up all the time. Sorry, Rawlings. So what we've done years ago is created the Fielding Bible Awards. It is the best defensive award that you can find in baseball because it is based not just on the numbers, but also on expertise of voters and distinctly never going to have somebody that's mostly a DH ever win an award for a position that they barely play. We have just one winner for each league, for the AL and for the NL. So there's one ruler at every position that is announced in the Fielding Bible Awards. And along with this comes the Bill James Handbook, the 2023 Bill James Handbook, the ultimate accompaniment to your offseason in baseball so that as soon as the World Series wraps up, you can dig right in and start reading along, understanding what to expect next year with all the fine analysis from our baseball folks here at SIS. So check out the Fielding Bible Awards, check out the Bill James Handbook, and definitely check out the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast hosted by Mark Simon. Truly awesome guests on regularly from our own Bobby Scales, former player and VP of baseball, to different media personalities, current players, minor leaguers, you name it. The SIS Baseball Podcast has it all. Rolling right back in, Go Birds is the most frequent way that. Alex delivers his closing salutation. On that note, we had a little bit of an argument if we could consider the Eagles a surprise team. I think we thought the Eagles were going to be good, but they are a surprise in that they're this good for sure. So Alex, we'll let you kick it off here. What do you make of those go birds? Yeah, I I, I agree with the question about them being a surprise because like Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders was like, they're gonna win the Super Bowl. And they were especially after the the Chauncey Gardner Johnson acquisition, and well, certainly after you know Dak gets hurt, basically immediately. Like they, we expected good things from them, but the the offense has really been a lot more consistent than it was previously with Jalen Hurts at the helm. 
adding AJ Brown, obviously a big deal. The funny thing about adding him to your offense is that it opens up your passing game over the middle of the field. Jalen Hurts has been basically the same passer on throws outside the numbers, but between the numbers, he's making three more throws over the middle per game than he was last year. And his independent quarterback rating on those throws is 20 points higher than it was last year. And that puts him right at the top of the leaderboard. It's him and I think Kirk Cousins at the top. So that RPO game takes a whole different, whole different feeling when you're, you're really worried about defending him in the run game, defending the running game in the run game. Oh yeah. And then we're going to have to tackle AJ Brown if he catches that slant over the middle. Yeah. He's, I mean, he, I remember a couple of years ago looking up a, a stat on, on AJ Brown, where it's just like his production on in breaking routes on, on intermediate throws, just like dwarfs everybody else in the league. Like that's, that's his game and he absolutely destroys it. And that's a big deal for an offense that had pretty good tight end production the last couple of years, but like at the wide receiver position was not, you know, Devonte Smith is a very different kind of player than AJ Brown and all the Greg Wards and, and those kind of guys that, that they were throwing out the last few years. Like that's not, that's not going to cut it when you're trying to be one of the top teams in the league. AJ Brown really, really steps up your game in terms of those intermediate throws or, or deep throws over the middle. Yeah. He, yeah, he's absolutely completely changed what they do up, up front there. The part that I would want to shine a little bit more of a light on that I think people might not be realizing is how well the interior offensive line of the Eagles is playing. When you look at the, their their guard-center guard combo, obviously we talk about Kelsey all the time, but Selmalo and Dickerson as well on either side of him are are really solidifying things and and kind of creating the the opportunity for Hertz to thrive. This is not somebody who's a traditional dropback passer. This is not somebody who really has an answer for pressure up the middle, but he does have an answer for pressure when it comes off the edge. He also can can solve problems in the run game when he's coming off the edge. So having this really strong kind of central part of the line, reminiscent of what we had in New Orleans when I was there with, with Jari Evans and Carl Nix, having that really strong interior presence, I think has really served him well in terms of being able, again, to accentuate his talents. For everything that, that we're saying positively about Jalen Hurts, I still think he is the sort of question on this team. Maybe a similar comparison, maybe a fair comparison would be the the MVP Lamar Jackson Ravens team from a, from a few years ago, where, yes, this player is unbelievable. He's a really big problem. But if we can force him to play on third down, if we can remove the threat of the run from what we have to defend, is this something that can win in the playoffs and in, in the one-game tournaments of the world? To me, that's what I think the Eagles will have to contend with, at least from the offensive side of the ball. But what I like, like like you're saying, what I like what they're doing is they're making it about as hard as it can be in every other way. From from having to tackle A.J. Brown, having to cover Devontae Smith just, just to begin with. He's kind of had a quiet, really nice start to the season as well. The running game in general, the tight end play, they have a top five tight end in the league. So all those reasons, I think, make them tough. I don't know. Do you share any of those concerns or or am I, or is it like, Get with the modern NFL, man. No, I, I think that's totally fair. And and to your point about like the offensive line, like having a mobile quarterback like that gives you opportunities to get out of situations where the offensive line is failing, but also get, puts a lot of pressure on you because sometimes the pocket, you know, sometimes he's moving and you don't know what's going on behind you. And it, it's valuable as an offensive lineman to sort of like know where you're trying to protect. 
and Hertz could be in all kinds of places three, three seconds into the play. So that's definitely a tougher job for the offensive line. And I think they've just done a very good job. And the other thing that it's probably worth acknowledging is like, yes, Kelsey and Lane Johnson have been like sort of stalwarts in that offensive line, but there's been a decent amount of rotation of the, the, the players around them in terms of injury, in terms of new guys coming in over the last few years. And they've just consistently been an awesome unit up front. And that's a testament to some, to some extent, the, you know, their, their scouting group, but also just the coaching staff and, and getting people ready, especially as they've had kind of different offenses over the last few years, right? right. The, the Nick Foles version, which was still RPO heavy, but with a, a statue at quarterback, Wentz doing a little bit more of, of chaos energy, and then Hertz, where you have some of that, you know, mobility and stuff, but you, you really want to scheme him getting out getting out in the open, having those bootlegs, rollouts, that sort of thing, and still maintaining that RPO game so he can get the ball out of his hands quickly and, and make sort of straightforward decisions. Yeah, it's sort of the the RPO prowess of Foles with the second play prowess of Carson Wentz minus the headaches that come on, on in the, the base situations because in those situations, you're using him so differently than, than you did those guys. Yeah, watching watching Hertz play is less, you have fewer just sort of frustrating decisions. Right. And it's more of just like this throw did not go where he was trying to throw it. Let's either have the design play work really well based on his athleticism or the, or a simple read being, or or AJ Brown's athleticism, you know, just by, by out, or then when we get into the second play with this dude, as opposed to it being like, just trying to extend things too long. It's like, no, just run. I thought when you were going to say the one thing you should mention was going to be his height with the good interior offensive line. I thought I thought you were jumping on a point that I was I was like, "Ah, I should have said that." I will admit that I googled to make sure that he <laughs> yeah, to make sure that he was short enough to to have made that comment. So it was it was on my brain. Listed at 6-1 for whatever it's worth, definitely I think part of it too. When you have the shorter quarterbacks, you want to make sure to build that stay out of the paint area. We always did did it with Drew Brees. We did a study when I was there if the if the paint got if they got four yards of depth into the paint, he was like sub 70 passer rating guy. If you could keep them from getting more than four yards of depth into the pocket in terms of that, the interior defensive line penetration, that's what I mean when I say the paint. He was the, the Drew Brees that, that we knew and loved. Flipping around to the other side of the ball, let's move to the back end for a minute. James, they've been pretty ridiculous, huh? Yeah, it's it's been pretty locked down as locked down can get. Bringing over James Bradbury from the Giants has proved massive dividends early. Both him and Darius Slay are both in top ten in the top ten EPA per target allowed, and they both had at least two interceptions. Factor in Chauncey Gardner Johnson too, and the Eagles secondary as a whole ranked second in EPA per play on pass defense. You can point to the the primetime spots of the Cowboys game and the Vikings game and, and just see exactly what uh, what this defense is all about on the back end in terms of forcing turnovers, playing lockdown coverage on uh, big-time receivers, and they, they've been absolutely lights out. In that Cowboys game, they had, like I think, the, the most passes that were like def- defense deflected, intercepted, like so, some kind of disruption of the ball in the passing game. They had like the most of any team in the league this year in that Cowboys game. So yeah, they, they have been causing havoc in the ways that you want defensive backs to, to be causing problems. And there's, it's not to say that they're not doing a decent job of just like shutting things down in general, but they've definitely been able to break up plays, cause deflections, get interceptions off of deflections and, and return them for big yardage on the back end. And what I think is pretty cool about the way they're doing things on the back end is how they've been pretty multiple 
a lot of teams are kind of built like we talked about the Jets with their lockdown corner and and sort of trying to figure things out from there. Other teams will will really lean heavy, you know, quarters that we see around the league that that, that sort of base cover four scheme that we've seen proliferated in so many different places. What the Eagles have been doing has been pretty multiple, which I think is actually cool. They've they they split up their usage of man pretty well a, along with zone being kind of more balanced than you would be in that regard than other teams in the league playing field open playing field close not just relying on their athleticism but also giving multiple looks to the offense which is ideally what you want to do because you will face Lamar Jackson teams and you will face Tom Brady teams so you want to be able to be adaptable in what you're doing and then you also want to be able to confuse teams and and throw multiple looks at them I think Bradbury maybe unfairly had a knock as as just pure being a pure zone corner I think clearly he's showing that regardless of the scheme, he's been able to have success this year. And that I think that more than anything else has been a big reason for their success defensively. I mean, we talked about how good Patrick Sertain has been. Darius Slay ha- has anecdotally been been just as good. I noticed now that total points doesn't agree, but we'll have to we'll have to look into what the reasoning is for that. Moving up front, Alex, anything you'd want to point out about the Eagles front line and how that has you know what might have been going on there in terms of what's led to the surprise success? Yeah. So actually I'm looking at their team page on the 33rd team website, which we are uh, the engine behind, and they have seen the most gap runs in the league and have allowed their 28th in EPA per play allowed, like two tenths of a point per play against gap scheme runs. So they've been kind of been pushed off the ball a little bit in gap scheme runs. And you'd think that having, you know, drafting Jordan Davis in the first round would have a big impact in those kinds of situations, but their defensive success has come without him having a huge impact. Honestly, in terms of on-off splits, the passing game has had bigger difference. The passing offenses against the Eagles have been more successful with him on the field by like a quarter of a point per play in terms of on-off difference. And the funny thing is that they've blitzed like half the time when he's been on the field, but they've generated a good amount less pressure on those plays. And obviously we expect there to be just generally more pressure on passing downs and Davis is going to be on the field for fewer of those in general, but it is kind of weird that they've been so aggressive trying to get the pass rush when he's been on the field and they've been playing heavier personnel in general, but they have not actually generated as much of a pass rush when he's been out there. Interesting. That'll definitely be something to keep an eye on going forward. All right. Last and not least, Big surprise out West this year has been the Seattle Seahawks. We thought they they got rid of Russ and they were tanking. That has not been the case at all. Alex, start off by telling us about our friend Gene. What has he managed to do back there at the helm? Our friend Gene. Yeah, he is number sixth in independent quarterback rating so far this year. And he's doing so with an average throw depth that is deeper than any of the guys above him. So we, we always you know have to be careful when we're talking about metrics that relate to accuracy, because if you're having a lot of easier throws, it's a lot easier to to have success. But he's throwing it pretty pretty well downfield. He's at the top of the leaderboard in IQR on passes 20 plus yards downfield. And interestingly, he's also leading the league in the percentage of his deep passes that are going over the middle. Like two thirds of his deep passes have gone over the middle, which is, it's not necessarily saying too much it's it's a pretty small sample, but it's just kind of interesting when there are these sort of stylistic differences in how players are, are having success. And incidentally, when I looked the stat up, I found out that Josh Allen has thrown for 42 and a half yards per attempt on deep passes between the numbers this year, 
which is not, or is it, which is somehow a real number. It's like eight passes for 340 yards or something. Absolutely so, insane. Yeah, that that is nuts. Gino has been has been pretty ridiculous. James, what can you tell us about kind of how they've been how they've been getting there? What what's been going on with him, and then also what they've been doing in the backfield? Yeah, absolutely. So overall, on well, on early downs, they've been able to have a lot of success, which is shows that there there's something real there uh, with what they're doing offensively. They rank sixth in early down EPA per play, which is something that can stick throughout the whole season. And then, yeah, as you alluded to, the backfield. Even before Rashad Penny went down, he was top 10 in total point in rushing total points. And now Ken Walker has quickly shot up the leaderboard and is now fifth among running backs in rushing total points as well. So they've, you know, with Penny going down, they're still been uh, showing success on the run game. Yeah, Walker hasn't done much as a receiver, but he's got 21 broken and missed tackles on 67 carries this year. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's actually like unsustainably ridiculous. But in terms of things that are that are sticky about running back performance, the, the ability to to force people to miss you and to be able to break tackles in the backfield, those do tend to carry forward. So really good early returns. Like I say, hasn't caught the ball yet, but really good un- returns on on what he is as a runner so far. In terms of how they're getting it done, you talk about the early downs. This is a team that leads the league in their usage of 12 and 13 personnel. We're seeing some of the backlash against 11 coming around this league as, as so many teams have been built to sort of defend the 11 personnel. They've had more success with the, the 12 and 13 personnel. And one thing to keep an eye on is that they are first in gap run efficiency, despite being a heavy zone running team. So they've been much more likely to be a zone team. I don't expect them to abandon the zone at any point, but if they start to realize that, that Kenneth Walker is the, is the battering ram that he appears to be getting some more of this gap stuff in there and really becoming a power team, you know, harking back to the Marshawn days could be, you know, this feels like deja vu all over again in, in a lot of ways with C- the Seattle surprise this year. But for that to be the case, I think they'll have to do a little bit more on defense. James, what can you tell us about the Seahawks defense? Yeah, um, obviously that's kind of been the knock on them so far, but they certainly have shown improvement on the last two weeks. They've dropped their passing their yards per passing attempt allowed from eight point nine to seven point nine against games between the Cardinals and the and the Chargers. And Tariq Woolen has certainly been a stud for them too. A big find out of the draft. He's tied to the league league in interceptions, and they have been able to turn the ball over, ranking top ten in turnovers overall. So if they can continue to do that and continue to show improvement. As of right now, they've gotten themselves up to 16th in EPA per play overall defensively. So you can couple that with a top five, top 10 offense. And there's certainly certainly signs of good things to come in Seattle. Yeah, interesting matchup coming this weekend. Two of the surprise teams that we highlighted here today, the Seahawks and the Giants facing one another. I, I, think, I think that's one of the most curious games I can think of on the slate for this week because, again, one of those like, are you for real or are you not? Can the Giants like somehow win another game? Or will will Geno Smith continue to do Geno Smith things? If they're both facing each other, are we really learning anything? Right? It's like two two nebulous quantities right. that are interacting. One of them will other. continue to just rack up yeah. wins, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in this one too, this is the Giants' third road game in the last four. With one of those games being in London, another game going up to the Pacific Northwest. So certainly could be a fatigue factor with the Giants in this one. See how they do on that long flight. All right. That will wrap it up for this week's episode. We went through five of the big surprise teams so far this year, and we'll be back with you again next week. For our producer, Justin Stein, 
and our guests, Alex Vigderman and James Weaver. I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast.